Welcome to Amana Podcast, your host here, Mark Herodine. Amana was uh, a name that I came up with many years ago based off the ancient city in Egypt called Tel Amana. Tel Amana was um, founded and led by Akhenaten and Nefertiti. They moved the city from Thebes. And things that resonate with me about this city is they were living in, believing in one God, that of Aten, and looking at how you could live with higher virtues. And so in today's life, how does one live in their higher nature, their higher virtues? What are they? Uh, when we run into trouble, how do we get out of them? What are some of the things that we do? So I'm going to be having an interview with several people. And today we have Richard LaPlante. Hey, Richard. Hello, Mark. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us today. I'm really glad that we get to have this conversation. We've been friends now for a couple of years, and uh, I, I couldn't be more grateful that you're my friend. Besides being uh, a great person, you show up a lot in my life that that uh, help me stay in places that get me into my higher virtues. So I'm curious to know about some of your higher virtues. <laughs> what do you care about? And you're going uh, to have to do some digging. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how, how do you live in them more and more? Well, what do you want first? Give me, come on. What do you want first? What you want to know what my higher virtues are or how I live in them? They, 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 well, to name them first, you know, it's just, well, and, and it'd just be one or two. It doesn't need to be all. But what would be something that you aspire towards or care oh. about? As a, as a feeling or a recognition, one, as an example for me, would be peace. Uh, so what would be yours? Don't take don't take my words away from me. That's what, now what am I going to do? I have to go, okay, hold on. What you you can use peace. It's a good one. Yeah, well, right. Okay, peace of mind mm. is probably, probably what I've been looking for for, well, a very long time, and that is a state beyond this anxiety that I and so many of my friends and acquaintances sort of live in. There's always a free-floating anxiety, something that comes when often we least expect it and settles on our shoulders and prevents us from living in the moment, in the now. You know, it's the raindrops of what if, what if? What if? And, and do you have an example of what would be a free-floating anxiety? What, how, or how has one of those things hit you, and how have you dealt with it? Health and money. Mm -hmm. Health and money—they're free-floating anxieties. You know what next goes wrong? You know, you're, I, I'm in my middle seventies now, so, and I've been an extremely healthy person, with the exception of athletic injuries motorbike accidents, uh, stress from, you know, a lawsuit here, you know, not here and there, I only had one, but, you know, it's anxiety of, of, of what's around the bend, what's around the bend, what's around, when there is nothing, nothing around the bend, honestly, it's only what we have now. And, that, and, and that's not meant to sound like some... You know, I'm not, I'm not preaching some spiritual or esoteric gospel. It is 
the absolute truth. And I find it out more and more. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or even six hours from now. Yet if I allow anxieties that whatever it will be is going to make my life less than it is or be frightening, then it sort of destroys the moment. It destroys the peace of mind. So, you know, I've been working for a while now to stay inside the moment, to stay inside, to kind of, I guess, relax, rest, recover, relax, relax, relax. And to give our listeners a bit of a background with with your background, you, amongst many things, have really been focused on health. And in fact, you know, if people wanted to look it up, look up real strength now, but something that you've focused on and helped me a lot with is is breathing techniques, Um, breathing with resistance, without resistance, and training the body to move in and out of stress. Um, and, And you've certainly taught me these things. Would you care to elaborate on some of those techniques that and may have how that helps you with this free floating anxiety? All right. Whenever I work with anybody with breathing, the first rule is you close your mouth and breathe through your nose. Because mouth breathing, if you think of it, is equated to say running from prey, running from danger, running. You're going to run, you're going to need more oxygen. Generally, that means you open your mouth wide and it's huffing and puffing. There's a state of anxiety right there. A lot of people now, older people, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about anybody after the age of 25 or 30. For some reason, they start breathing with their mouths. They take the breath to the upper chest. They stop using the diaphragm as much. They stop using the lower belly or in Japanese terms called the hara, that center, that center of gravity below. And they are predominantly becoming chest breathers. Well, chest breathing equates with anxiety. Got to get out of here. Got to escape that predator. Got to do this or got to do that. So you are living in sort of a constant state of flight or confrontation, fight, you know, with your boss, with your somebody in a car in front of you. I mean, it goes, the, the list is endless. So I, I, I start all my stuff with just, close your mouth for however long we're together and however long we work and breathe with your nose. That's how we were supposed to breathe. That takes the breath down to the belly and is by nature a more calm breath. On top of that, there are numerous exercises that we can do. And what I always do once I establish that nasal breathing pattern And I mean, I'm talking about establishing it day and night. You don't want to sleep with your mouth open either. Um, Once that's established, then the exercise routine creates stress situations. I use progressive resistance exercise for that. I use a stick that I can do isometric contraction. Isometric contraction means there's no movement in the joint or the muscles or very, very tiny movement. It's like... eh, standing in front of a wall and pushing it. Well, the wall's not going to move and the muscles are going to contract, but they're not going to go out or in. That's a stress situation. Right. So you counter that situation by using a steady flow of nose breathing. 
That stress situation sets in the fight or flight response, which means the heart rate goes up, the blood pressure goes up. How do you work with that? You know, what I do is create metaphor is what I do. Here's a stress situation. Let's breathe through it. Keep the breath regulated. Keep it quiet. Keep it lower abdomen. Use the diaphragm. So you can tolerate, your tolerance becomes greater of that situation. And then when you stop pushing against the wall, being the wall being metaphor, you slow the breathing down, the heart rate descends, blood pressure descends, and you're back into a rest. And the rest for me waits with more peace of mind. But little things create stress. You know, that fear of, my God, I might be broke next week. Oop, all the cryptocurrency just fell. I'm screwed. I put a load of money in. Up, my knees hurt. Up, well, you all have it. I mean, I, every friend of mine, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody walking this planet that doesn't get into stress situations. It's a question of how we deal with the stress. And that's what actually impassions me, interests me. I never knew at this phase of my life that that would become my primary motivation for learning, but it is. So you're willing to give us and, and our listeners a, an example of this just right here, right now, something that's very practical, easy. You could be sitting in a chair and uh, give us some type of example and let's, let's move our state. Yeah, easy. And I want to accentuate, this is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, a lot of these exercises that I do, I have modified from very old yogic exercises in pranayama, breath control. And then I came to understand it through sport, through martial art, through boxing. I mean, they were my sports that had interested me. I spent many years uh, in a Japanese dojo practicing, and it was all about stress and handling it with breath. And when you hear kiai, uniting the body and the spirit. So a lot of my stuff comes from martial art, from yoga. And then I remember I, I, I never boxed competitively, but I coached it in London. And the first time I got in the ring with anyone, we went with a couple of the boys who were told not to knock me out. Uh, three rounds of three minutes felt like an eternity. And the coach said, you've got to learn to breathe through your nose. Now, he actually didn't know why. I said, why? He said, well, because uh, you can last longer. Your gum shield doesn't fall out. Well, it was correct. Breathe through your nose. But sure, I mean, I don't, he didn't know why. Why is because it controls the intake of oxygen and the release of carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide, and we're going to get into something we can do, but I want to tell you what we're doing before we get into it. Carbon dioxide is the reason you breathe. You build up carbon dioxide and the body wants to get rid of it. So it pushes it out. And that's why mouth breathers are always, they're pushing carbon dioxide out. Yet carbon dioxide is the thing that separates oxygen from blood or particularly from the hemoglobin the protein in the blood. We all have about 95 to 99% blood saturation. I mean, that's what runs through the veins. Most of us don't use it. We just exhale the oxygen we just breathed in because we don't tolerate carbon dioxide enough so when the oxygen makes it to the cell, the carbon dioxide waiting for the oxygen and the amount of it 
guarantees the release of the oxygen. It breaks its binding with the hemoglobin in the blood and goes into the cell. There's not a lot of carbon dioxide there. You don't get much oxygen in. So you need to tolerate it. So we'll do this right now. And it's something you do it seated. You just do it seated with me. First of all, let's just establish nasal breathing. Nasal breathing warms the air. It creates what's called nitric oxide in the paranasal sinuses that are all around the nose, which open the pathways. Nitric oxide opens the pathways all through the body pathways, arteries, veins, pathways. So take the tongue, place it on the roof of the mouth. Just follow along with me. You're going to feel good after this. On the roof of the mouth, do a thing in your head where we're counting beats. Let's just do four and four. So it's like a beat is one, one thousand, two, two thousand, three, four. Breathe in and out, four in, four out. We'll just go say, we'll do a minute or I'll do seven breaths. It's yeah, I'm usually seven or eight breaths in a minute. You breathe with your lower belly. You don't take more air. Don't be greedy. You don't gulp it. You sip the air because we're sitting. We don't need a lot of oxygen. We're sitting. So here we go. Breathe with me, tongue to the roof of the mouth, in through the nose, out through the nose, count of four internally. Rotate the thing. No pauses in between. No pauses. Here we go. One. And exhale. Two. And exhale. Three. And exhale, four, and exhale. Now keep going on your own until I call it off. By now, You've started to slow your heart rate. The blood pressure is lowering by now. Keep going. The tongue to the roof of your mouth is a connection to your nervous system, particularly, keep going, the parasympathetic. Parasympathetic is the rest system. Let's just do a few more. Last one, keep them even. Keep the breath low down. Now, take both your hands, palms of your hands, put them together in front of your chest, about sternum height, a little higher than your sternum. So your fingertips are right under your chin. Take a breath in. On the out breath, push your palms together. It's an isometric exercise. Create that tension, keep breathing with the exercise. Push harder. Now I want you to exhale through your mouth, through like a funnel, purse your lips. So it's in, purse your lips. One, keep pushing. Again, push. You'll feel the flexing in your chest. 
your pectoralis, your front shoulder. One more. Push. Don't release the push. Keep the pressure on. Now, take your hands, put them in your lap and relax. Don't breathe out your mouth again. Go back to a three and three breath. Experience what's going on inside your body, particularly in the area of muscles that you've just relaxed because they've been metabolizing heavily. In other words, they've been making energy. That's what holds the push. That energy has taken up the heart rate, requires faster heartbeat to pump the blood, the blood carrying the oxygen because you make energy, you're wanting more oxygen. Now you're going to take that down consciously so you're breathing in and out relax your shoulders in and out every area that you hold tension requires more oxygen or it blocks the flow requires more oxygen in and out now let's lengthen the breath a little in out slow now let's lengthen the exhale phase in, out slow. Feel yourself coming down in, out slow. The heart doesn't need to beat so hard now. Out slow. One more in. Out slow and stop the breath. Pause the breath on the out. Out slow. Don't breathe at all for a few seconds. That signals the vagus nerve to slow you down more. The body always adapts. In. Out slow and pause. All right. That's a little sample. So what we did... Okay, but we put ourselves in fight or flight with that pressure. Now, pressure could be anything. You'd be fighting for your life. I mean, if you were fighting for your life, you'd be more adrenaline. But that pressure alone causes the body to release adrenaline. Cortisone, it causes the body to release hormones that take the heart up, blood pressure up, because you're fighting. You're pushing one hand against the other. The hands are fighting. You're fighting. The muscles are tense. You're fighting. People can get into that position of fighting and stay there permanently. They're fighting all the time. And that's what I mean by free-floating anxiety. We fight the anxiety, fight the anxiety. So the idea of the breath and the control of the breath is to control the anxiety, to release the anxiety, release it with the exhale. That wow. leads, yeah, and that leads us into meditation, which is further down into the system of relax. All right. I was I was just going to say one thanks thanks for that example and the explanations along the way, just to give give our listeners you know I'm sure our listeners have if you walk through that you would have felt a change in your state I know for myself I could feel my body start to calm down although free frank the free flowing anxiety still may be there I'm aware of it I'm I'm aware of the monkey mind. Uh, still active, maybe not at, as active because my attention is now just simply on my breath. 
or my focal point is on my breath, but I'm still still acutely aware of other things around me and probably my sensitivity picks up. Uh, so this is some of the awarenesses that I've that I had there. You may want to track what awarenesses showed up for you and that. I noticed that for myself in meditation too. In meditation, I have a chant or a tone that I use um, to go into that makes it very active. So it's not a passive meditation. It's more of an active meditation. And, and in that, I all kinds of monkey mind will, will come at me. And what I mean by monkey mind is that self-chatter, you know, thoughts, random thoughts, uh, going over thoughts um, and these things. So this that's a wonderful example, and I know you certainly live this, Richard, in terms of how you manage your, yourself. Uh, another virtue, we can, we can cycle back if we have other things, but please look into Real Strength Now. You can find out a lot more information about uh, Richard's breathing, and he also has a book called Real Strength Now. Um, but one of the more your more most recent books, because you are an author, a terrific author at that, another one of your exceptional talents, um, is called Lonely Hearts Will Travel. And I wanted to bring up the virtue of loving. And I know that's that's a big virtue that I think we all uh, deal with on some level or avoid on some level. And there's multiple facets of how loving can be in action. Uh, there's the self-loving, there is the romantic loving, there is loving of life, um, love, loving the challenge. It can come in many ways. But I, I wonder if you could touch into what prompted you to write um, Lonely Hearts Will Travel and how loving has played it, used loving as the virtue here of how that's kind of threaded through your story. Lonely Hearts Will Travel was my, it began with the dissolution, the breakup of my marriage. I was 64 years old, or maybe 63 anyway. It was a little late. It was late in life. I had young children because I didn't start till late. I never thought the marriage would break up. And it did. And I hadn't really ever, I, I couldn't remember being lonely. Because I've been with, I've had two wives, both long marriages. And it began in my late 20s. And until then, it had been, you know, a flurry of whatever that people do in their teens and early 20s. And I moved to a house on my own in the country. And I thought, oh, this is what it feels like. That strange, hollow, empty feeling. I thought, I got to fill it. Oh, boy, do I have to fill it. So what do I do? I went online dating because that's what... The only thing I knew, people, people told me, my lawyer told me, <laughs> go online. See, you know, what, what do you do? Go to a lot of bars? He said, no, I don't go to bars. Well, then where are you going to meet anybody? Go to dance clubs? No, I don't go to dance clubs. Go online. And I did. And I spent nearly a decade traipsing from one place, one woman to another. I mean, some of them were flights, you know, New Mexico, Colorado, bringing them in. They're going through all kinds of money because I tell you, when you have a need like that, money becomes incidental. Mm. You just want to fill that need, that lonely need. But of course, what happens or what happened, and it's true universally, it wasn't my great singular experience, was I thought I haven't spent a great deal of time loving myself, who I am, what I am. 
accepting my anxieties, my flaws, my this, my that. And every one of these ladies that I met online through the various sites became sort of a mirror for those failings and shortcomings in my own self-love. You know, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm feeling abandoned. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm not looking like what I see. They're not pretty enough. They're looking a little old, but guess who really is looking a little old? And I thought, well, that's why these old guys, like 20-year-old women, they don't sit at a dinner table and feel like they're young. So I started to get an enormous amount of insight. And all the time I'm practicing what we just did in variations, you know, the breath. And I'm thinking, oh, here I am talking about meditation, talking about the monkey mind, talking about breathing and the control of the nervous system. And I'm sitting here lonely as hell every night, eating, you know, pre-made dinners from Annie's or whatever I got them from anyway. But it was this learning thing. I learned to sit with my feelings. I learned to sit with the emotions. I learned to, I, I learned to know that they pass like storms or sunny days. The energy level never stays the same. You just don't get happy and stay happy. And you don't get sad and stay sad, although people do, and that's called depression. Thankfully, I never went into a depression, or if I did, it was mild and I could come out of it. But I had the help of people. I talked to people. I got a fellow in my book. I call him the tribal elder. He was a great friend, next door neighbor, and a noted child psychologist. And I went to him. Psychiatrist. He was a psychiatrist. And at first it was free. I used to go because he was my mate. And I said, look, I want to come every week because I need somebody to talk to. And I did. And eventually I got to have a love for myself. You know, but the book is the book's almost a confessional. You know, it's raw. But I thought, why? If I'm not going to tell the truth, why write this thing? Who's going to read it and gain anything? If they don't hear from a man's perspective, an older man, what it feels like to be like this, because just statistically, half of us who get married get divorced. That's about a 50-50. A third of people past the age of 65 live on their own. So there's a lot of people staring out windows or staring at walls and a lot of people with nothing to do. And thank God, you know, I have, you know, I write, I do the breathing, I work with people. I try to give back what I've learned in the course of a lifetime. So I have something to do. And, and, and it's just a godsend. Because staring at the wall or staring out the window isn't, isn't fun. So that, that's what, I mean, I, I, the book has a lot of laughs in it. I mean, you, you, know, you see some great beauty online and arrive at the door and the door opens. You have no idea who's standing in front of you because they don't bear any resemblance to the 25-year-old photos that are sent out. And wait, including my own. I got one that I look like a damn movie star. That was the one on my thing. And, you know, a friend of mine said, lie about your age. So I knocked off nine years. And boy, I lived to pay for it all because you, nothing remains hidden finally. Anyway, that's Lonely Heart Will Travel. And it ties in to the breathing work because the breathing work is healing. That's about healing. Healing yourself. I had to heal myself. I was ripped apart by my divorce. It required healing. There's your breath work. There's your putting your hands together, create stress. A marriage breakup is hugely stressful. To heal from that, 
takes conscious breath and movement, movement inside and outside. So one ties into the other. But my whole thing is about healing, rest, restoration, recovery, healing. And so I would imagine as you as you shared there, you know, some of these, you know, let's call it the, the winds of the day or the lonely nights still show up. Uh, and how how do you think the change has either you've grown or become stronger with it, or does it still go down to those lows and woes? And and or can you get back quicker into you know a healing process or a loving process that where you feel your cup's being full? Okay. I got lonely last night. I felt it. I have a, a girlfriend I've had for a couple of years, but she's in LA. She has to work. Sometimes I don't see her. And I thought, oh, there's that feeling. What did I learn? I learned through myself, through the meditation, through the breath work, and through talking to someone. Two things. Sit with the feeling. Sit with it. Don't go, God, I don't want to feel lonely. I'm pushing it away. Don't push. Don't push it away. You push it away, it becomes stronger. There's your isometric contraction. You can't keep pushing. It'll wear you out. So you let it roll over you. Know that it will pass. And reach out. Reach out to people. Call a friend. Text somebody. Don't go, well, if they want to talk to me, they'll call me. Nope. They may not. Reach out. You don't need to reach out because you're in trouble, because it's, I'm desperate. I'm just, no. Sit with a feeling and reach out. Create something for yourself. Create energy. This is all about energy. Use the breath. Reach out. Let everything roll on by. Just clouds in the sky. Sounds all, to me, even that sounds kind of phony, esoteric, but it's not. That sadness is going to pass. You know, it was two hours later, I was laughing my head off with somebody, right? Mm. Two hours previous, I was sitting there going, whoa. This is it, my life. Whoa, whoa. So, but taking action is certainly a part of that. You know, if that's reaching out or if that's breathing work, or I have what I call my inner committee, you know, who I go to, my high self, my conscious self, my basic self, and I have conversations within to see where things are coming from. If it's uh, a negative space, you know, where's where's that being accessed? What's my opening to that? How can I clear that? And I, have a, I personally have a series of clearing techniques that I go through uh, to get rid of certain energy fields, either that, either that I've created or been environments that may have uh, tacked on to me and I, I need to clear that. One of the things, one of the techniques I use, Richard, uh, and we live here in beautiful Ojai, is moving into nature. You know, and I, I look at my garden, I look at the mountains or play golf in, in a serene environment and just the unwinding of what the natural habitat can do, I think, is a technique that I use to unravel any of these either anxieties or upsetness or that that would upset my peace. So I think... Peace is a, is a great one. Loving thyself is a great one. Uh, 
I will I will tap into one more book of yours, and that is a great book that I certainly enjoyed. That's on Audible and in uh, print, and that is Never Again. Can you share a little bit about Never Again? Yeah, Never Again is about building the dream house, but it's a it's more than that. It was building the dream. Uh, my wife, my two young children, and I lived on Long Island in a wonderful house we'd built by the water. But for me, the winters were unlivable. It was so cold, and I thought, wow, this is it. And I used to fantasize. When I was a kid, I'd like to live in California. I had a California dreaming going on in my head, you know. And I thought, well, I don't do it now. I never will. So I convinced my now ex-wife, maybe that's part of the reason she's my now ex-wife, to move to California. We came out looking for houses, couldn't find one, ended up buying 21 acres of raw land right here in this little town of Ojai. And close enough to town that, you know, three minutes, you're out in the wilderness, and three minutes later, you're at the post office. So it was a real find. The land was a great discovery. Sold the house on Long Island and thought we'd knock a house together in about a year, maybe a year and a half, because we'd done it on the island. We'd done it on Long Island. Took us nine months to build this great house. Hired the same architect, this guy from Argentina. He flew in, loved the land. I mean, he was eccentric as hell, didn't speak English. My wife had to be the translator, but he loved me. There were many ambrosos, great big bear hubs, nearly crushed me. He drank his wine for breakfast and we went to the land and he would come up with these drawings of places that no one could build, all made of glass. And finally came up with something like, oh, we think we could do that. So we ended up building the dream house, but it was also my dream, living on a mountaintop, looking out at nature, meditating, breathing. Box. I had a boxing gym there, hitting bags. It was also, I would say, a rich man's fantasy. And I wasn't a rich man. But I was doing okay. My books were selling. I had royalties. We had money saved. And we'd done it on our own, too. So what we didn't know was the house was going to take seven years because of all the county requirements, floods, earthquakes, blah, blah, blah. It had to be built different than anything I'd ever seen. Digging 30 to 40 feet into the ground to make sure it was a structure that would you know, stand up through a big quake. And it went on and on and on. And the money went out and out and out. So seven years and all our money later, we had the dream house, but we no longer had the dream. We were living in separate parts of it. The boys had grown just enough to figure out something was going wrong when mom and dad didn't even live in the same wing of the house. And the dream turned into a nightmare. And I wrote a book, Never Again, which meant I will never do that again. I had, and I was, today I was thinking, I've got, I've renovated or built six or seven homes. It was like a hobby. I love real estate. If I ever had money from the books, I'd save it up and buy a house. Well, never again. And that, <laughs> that's the book. Maybe I, I don't know. I just wore out energy for that. <laughs> What would you consider would have, would have been a that within this dream, you know, a virtue that you were chasing or, or something that you were chasing? Materialism. Materialism. And yeah, I think I had the big house, the fuck you house, the 
look at look at look at my house. Come on, you know I don't come cheap. My house is all glass, looks out over the mountain. You can see the ocean if you've got a pair of binoculars. Yeah, it was like, but it wasn't a sh- yeah, I sound like a show-off. It wasn't so much that. It was just here you go. Look at this. And it was that. It still is that. Yes. Still is that that house. But I don't need I don't need it. How about that? I don't need that's another thing. You want virtues? Don't need things. When you start needing things, you set yourself up for a fall. I needed that house at the time. I needed to, it was me personal. My need was I want to build something that's so magnificent, this structure, you know, and it was, and it was beautiful. I think I couldn't afford it. <laughs> well, at some point you did. I think, you know, if we, if we tap into that path of Siddhartha, the Buddha, you know, who went through all the trials and tribulations of the world and the, and the ego and getting to into that state in the end of not needing or no desire, um, maybe there's a virtue in, in there, you know, and I think, People often will say, you know, if you let it go, then you can truly have it. I don't know if that's true. I just think if you let it go, you can let things go. But I, I, I'm really enjoying hearing your tales of how you get into these higher virtues, these places of peace, this loving, this the not needing. You know, they're, they're really powerful, and I recognize in my own life, I've got to exercise these on a very much a daily basis. Otherwise. Uh, the storm comes and and uh, I can be bowled over quite quickly. And I know our conversation certainly uh, helped me get through a lot of my worries or fears. So I'm always grateful. Um, I did want to make mention of the Never Again book. This is on richardlaplante.com. So you could go there and check out all of Richard's books. I think how many books have you written in total? I think 14, but I want to say so. Aside from my 14 books, you just mentioned another virtue, and that is honesty, both to yourself and with others. Mm. And it's hard to be honest. It's hard, but it's a great virtue. And what you're talking about, our friendship is based upon honesty. We talk to each other honestly, and it makes a friendship. There's people I don't trust with all my honesty. Yes. You know, and when you go, people I don't trust, you go, how about do you trust yourself with your own honesty? Yeah. But it really is the only road worth traveling. This is the game I used to play called Never Lie to Yourself. You can lie to anyone, but never lie to yourself. And the truth is, if you do that, you're never really lying. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's the way to keep things clean, just like you're talking about, you know, changing your age. On, on the dating sides and, and yeah, I got uh, coerced into that, but yeah, I did it. Yeah, but I did it. You, you I were listening. I thought if I tell them all I am, nobody's going to want me, right? You're, list, you're listening to the world, and then you know these things get revealed. Oh you yeah, know, you know I I uh, I recognize that one myself. I've always wanted a big grand life, and you know I think the ego chases that, particularly as a young man or a young boy you know, fulfilling our dreams, which keeps us engaged. There's real purpose to that. Uh, Yet the the lessons that come from it all is what's really important and what sticks with the lessons is even more important. So I'm really glad that we've got to have this chat. 
Richard, and share share some of our conversations with our friends and listeners here. Is there anything that you would want to end with? Any I comments? Have, yeah, I hope we have many more chats to come. Yeah. <laughs> because, because communication is another great virtue. Communicate. It's like me sitting at home going, uh, I'm not going to call them or him or her because she hasn't called me. <laughs> Communicate. Communicate. That's ego. Really? Who wants to talk? I do. Call, talk, communicate, just like we just did for the last 45 minutes. Communicate. And and this is my, you know, this is my first podcast doing this. So I hope that this creates a nucleus and a seed and let's see where it grows to. And maybe there's a collective that happens here where we've got group chat and all kinds of things. So um, I put my place light in that and and I I would love to have you on here again having these having more conversations. So you thanks know for joining us. <laughs> I do. And you know where I live. All right. So thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, check out richardlaplant.com for his books and for breathing techniques and exercise. Look into real strength now. Uh, this is Mark Harradine signing off.